Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. That guy in the video just a minute ago, his name is Blake Wynn. He is our next-gen student minister. And last week, he preached his first sermon here at Outlook on Sunday morning, at least his first sermon down here, where all of us got to enjoy what our students enjoy all the time, and that is his great teaching. If you didn't, if you missed it, you missed a lot. He did a fantastic job. Can we thank Blake? He really did just do a super, super tremendous job. I hope I'm half that good when I'm his age or something like that. I don't even know what that means, but he really did do a great job. Uh, for the last few years, we've done a recurring sermon series called Our Outlook. We take this as an opportunity to remind ourselves of who we are as a church, of what is and what we want to be true of us, our values, our vision of how we got here and what's ahead. And there are a lot of good things to consider and talk about and when, uh, when thinking about such a, a fun topic as our family here at Outlook, but we're going to focus on four that I believe rise to the surface of our hearts as a church right now. And we're going to cover them over the course of this next month. We're going to talk about the fact that we're a church that holds on to what's true. We're a church that knows why we're here. We're a church that welcomes everyone warmly. And the one we're going to dive into today is we are a church that keeps it simple. We keep it simple. Now, this is precisely the time of year when we often feel the need for simplicity, right? How many of us want to or have at least thought that it might be a good idea to clear the clutter, right? Or just get focused and stay there, to learn to say no and lighten our schedule, or to find our flow state, or maybe we'll settle for just cleaning out our closet, right? This is the time of year when things like that come to mind. In fact, it's right about now the books on minimalism fly off the shelves and the blogs and the YouTube channels and the podcasts that espouse simplicity spike in traffic. New Year's resolutions almost always include some form of trying to get organized and get simple. This approach of simplifying the allure of changing our lives by getting organized, it speaks to something that I think is genuinely happening in us. We sense we're missing something, something important, because of all the many things that we have or have going on. We recognize that we want to have less or do less so we can be more. This is a real hunger, and there's a real truth behind it. And our ministry approach here at Outlook embraces this truth, not because of any trend, but because we find it in the scriptures and we see that it promotes spiritual, mental, emotional health and growth. There's some real wisdom to less is more to making sure that we stay focused and devoted, not to many things first, but to one. Consider this quick survey from the scriptures. In Psalm 24, the psalmist uh, writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing the psalmist sought, to dwell with God. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is at the home of sisters Mary, who chooses to sit and listen to whatever Jesus has to say, and Martha, who we read was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha comes to Jesus and says, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, 
You are worried and upset about what? Many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary chose the one thing that was needed, learning from Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, a wealthy young man asks Jesus about eternal life. He has kept the law faithfully, but he wants to know how to inherit the life that he hears Jesus preaching about. And Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He understood the law this young man did, but he lacked, Jesus saw, one thing, total surrender. He was still hanging on to too much stuff, too much of himself. In John chapter 9, the religious leaders wanted to claim that Jesus was a sinner, even though he had just healed a guy blind from birth. And when they interrogated the healed man, he replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. The man born blind refused to get drawn into their religious and political infighting. He needed to know only one thing, and that was that thanks to Jesus, he could see. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul lists all his religious and educational accomplishments. Then he calls them all rubbish and says this, I focus on one thing, forgetting what is behind, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He reminds us that a single focus on Christ, pulls us forward into the life that God has for us. This is all over the place in the scriptures, a reminder to set our priority correctly. Now, this idea of minimalism, this idea of simplicity, the essence of this idea is really this, to clear away what distracts and to make room for what matters. When we're talking about this, this is really what we're talking about, clearing away what distracts and making room for what matters. This is what we hunger for, and this is the situation all of us at some point can, can find ourselves in. And our topic for this series, our local church, churches can get distracted and even get good at providing distractions and end up forgetting what actually matters, which is really a very simple and straightforward thing. So here at Outlook, here's what we see matters most introducing people to Jesus and developing them as his disciples. C.S. Lewis wrote famously in his book, Mere Christianity, this is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It's so easy to get muddled about that. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. He says, but the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them, as he puts it, little Christs, to develop Christ and Christ-likeness in them. He says, Christ became man for no other purpose. We just celebrated that at Christmas time. Christ becoming human, God becoming human. So, in the remainder of our time together, I want to look at three ways that this looks like for us here at Outlook. The ways we approach this, this idea of introducing people to Jesus and developing them us as his disciples. When it comes to your church family, first thing, we're here to fill your character, not your calendar. In Matthew chapter 11, we read these words from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Someone say rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We believe Jesus is saying something important and profound and instructive about what life in him should look like and feel like. And it's this life that a church should create space to experience rest for our souls and a place that's easy and light, a place that's winsome and full of light and life. Our pace often that we find ourselves keeping in this world robs us of our peace. We've all been there. And we can end up falling for the wrong kind of fulfillment, thinking that a stuffed schedule equals significance, mistaking activity for progress or maturity. But if this is how Jesus describes life in him, then his churches should foster that very life, not heavy, not hard. Now, there are three main things we do around here at Outlook, so to speak, uh, uh, they, uh, to foster our discipleship and our development and to live out what it means to live in Christ together. And th those three things are essentially the first one's what we're experiencing right now. Every week we gather for worship, worship gatherings. Nothing original or new there, but it's something that we as Christians have been doing all along, all these past 20 centuries. Gathering for worship. Something in our hearts draws us to want to magnify God, to get the chance to worship Him together, to sit under God's Word, to remember Him in communion, to, to experience all of that is the first thing that we do as a church, to gather in worship. But right after that then is small groups. that We move from sitting in rows together, as we're doing today, to then circling up in each other's homes and finding a small group that fits for you and getting to know other people. Really, eyeball to eyeball, life to life, a place where you can love and be loved, serve and be served, care and be cared for, know and be known. All those things can happen, but they don't really happen so much in rows. Good things happen this way, but really good things also happen when we circle up. And so small groups, the idea of finding that community where you can gain mutual support, engage in meaningful study, all those things happen in small groups. Discipleship happens in small groups. But then the third thing is ministry teams. The idea that God has wired each of us to, make a, to do good in this world, to make a contribution, to, to uh, support each other. We, we each are, are uh, good at some kind of ministry and service that benefits the whole church or benefits the community or the world. And so we're dedicated to helping you find those spiritual gifts and have fun employing them. Worship gatherings, small groups, ministry teams, we see these as providing so much of what the Bible describes a, as what a church is to do and to be. And while these are not the only things we do, nearly everything we do leads someone toward or helps them get the most from these three things, gatherings, groups, and teams. Outside of that, really, you and I aren't meant to stay cloistered in the church with even more activity. We're meant to be out there living life in Jesus, loving our neighbors and being a light to our friends and our families and our co-workers and serving the community and just generally being the great people that Christ is making us into. Amen? That's how we see it. So filling your calendar is not nearly as important to us as making sure we're doing the one thing, the, the main thing that fills your character. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul talks again about the church. These verses that I'm sharing today have to do with how we see church and what the Bible tells us about what life in Jesus looks like as we live it together. He says that 
even the pastors and the teachers that God gives the church, this is how Paul describes it, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith, knowledge in God's Son, uh, knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, filling our characters, providing rest and nourishment for our souls. That's what church is about. So we aim not to fill our calendars, but our characters. And there's a second thing. And that is that, it, speaking of what that passage in Ephesians was talking about, as the leaders of the church, our aim is to be biblical pastors, not what I might say as detached bosses. Now, I really tried to figure out what I should put in this second part, because there's a lot of things that could be put there that are trying to convey what I have in mind. Our aim is to be biblical pastors, not detached bosses, or not program managers, or not showrunners, or not brand ambassadors, or not production production directors, or content producers, or even merely organizational leaders, and certainly not popular influencers. None of those things is what we aim to be as pastors. Biblically speaking, pastor means shepherd, as in one who cares for a flock. It's a beautiful picture, and it's what we, the ministers here, always aim to be. Now, there's at least a couple ways that that plays out. Here's two things that that means. First, it means we're available and accessible. In my 20 years here, I've always managed my own calendar. No one who's asked to meet with me has ever received anything but an enthusiastic yes. And I know that's true for all of our pastoral team. But when it comes to this idea of accessibility and availability, I got to admit, and I'm just going to say something here. As someone who spends a lot of time thinking about the American church, what's going on in the American church, someone who spends a lot of time trying to think about what makes a healthy church, I'm going to say, if you go to a church, and just hear this as a past, uh, pastorally, if you go to a church, but it's difficult to connect with a pastor, something is off. Proximity between people and pastor should be minimal because no one can shepherd from a distance. And so if we understand the job description of a pastor, nearness is inherent in that job description, in what the Bible means when it uses the word pastor. And church. And second, it also means that um, uh, I and we, our pastoral staff, we uh, are here for you. You are not here for us. An outlooker recently told me of visiting a church with a family member and uh, getting, as they put it, cult vibes. Uh, and I knew what she meant. I knew what she meant. It was meant in a constructive and just an objective observational way. It often happens when you get the sense that some allegiance or even a little adoration is owed the preacher, who is often the ultimate leader and the sole voice of authority in the church. When the preacher gives the impression that it's his church, you're going to his church or her church. But let's be honest, it's always his church, right? There's a reason this series is called Our Outlook and not My Vision. I feel very blessed to be the, pre, uh, the senior minister uh, of this precious church for this leg of its long journey. And I take that responsibility seriously and with a lot of gratitude. But this is a team effort between all the pastors and staff and elders. And so pastors, biblically speaking, serve and care. Those would be the two verbs that would elevate to the top of that job description. 
Peter knew this and he wrote about it in his first letter. He says to the leaders of a local church, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, it just doesn't get more clear, concise, and, and really beautifully said than the way Peter puts it right there. And that last phrase, lording it over, he picked that up from his own rabbi, Jesus himself. Jesus warned his disciples about not being leaders who lord over others. That's exactly how he said it. And he said that the world and even the religious establishment approaches leadership that way, lording it over. He said, Jesus said, but you're not to be like that. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. And it's good, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. See, we may be tempted to define leadership as much of our culture, and often many churches do, according to authority, right? The uh, the leaders are the authority over you. This misdefinition of leadership within the church, that is, has spawned no small amount of hurt and egotism and even abuse in the church. Instead, it's really about responsibility. Put another way, in Christ's church, it's not about the authority one has over people, but the responsibility one has to care and serve them, care for and serve them. This is how we see leadership, less empowered and more entrusted. We know all real authority belongs to Jesus, and so does the church. So does this church. So there's nothing wrong with leadership per se, but it should be shared and never driven by ego and even quiet in some ways and certainly never in need of applause or credit. And when we who preach up here in this, this really just blessed and privileged position, when we preach, we're not here to give a TED Talk or to be comedians, or impress you with how clever we are, or be motivational speakers, or even give, God help us, our hot takes on the latest headlines, right? We're here to share the good news of Jesus, to teach God's holy word, and apply it as best we can to our real lives in this time and place. And when I or our other pastors say we love the church or this church, we're not talking about the idea of the church or the organization or entity that is Outlook Christian Church. We're saying we love you. We love you. And we're here to serve and care for you. So second thing, our aim is to be biblical pastors, not detached authoritarians or whatever, however you might fill that blank. And the third thing we want to see is we're looking at what does it mean to be a simple church? That is that we, fought, we always aim to foster engagement and not just attendance. This means we're not just here to draw a crowd or uh, uh, you know, boost some sort of attendance number. This means exactly what it sounds like it means. We know that church is more than showing up. Even though church is technically a noun, it's practically a verb. Only attending may be where we start. And maybe that's where you're starting right now, whether you're attending with us online or you're with me here in the room. Attending is a great place to start. We all started there, but it's not where we stay. Engagement is what brings about the full life that Jesus provides, and that is what we're all here to foster in each other, the full life that Jesus provides. We can attend a lot of things, even good things, concerts or events of all kinds, but this church is something more. It's not something you attend. 
something you engage in. Those gatherings, those groups, those teams are far more than just attendance, right? Romans chapter 12 is also a passage about the church. And it says this, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts uh, for doing certain things well. It goes on. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. There's a lot in that passage. You could do a whole series on it. But what I want to highlight is that there's nothing passive here. Mere attendance doesn't really ever, ever get us to experience what we're talking about here, what we see here. There's active, it's, it's an active thing. It's not, it's not empty activity, but it is not at all passive. It's engaging in ways that move us toward meaning and maturity, which is what I believe we're all really looking for when we long for simplicity or minimalism or organization or focus. What we're really looking for is meaning and the ability to grow and mature as human beings. I believe the world is aching for churches and pastors who really know what these words mean, according to the scriptures, who read the scriptures and see the beauty and simplicity of what that is. So at Outlook, it looks like this for us. We really aim to fill our character, not our calendar. We want to be biblical pastors. We want to foster engagement, not merely attendance. We actually believe that this is a healthier way of being a church. And it can be easy to fall for the corporate modern perspective of more is better and we must do it better than everyone else. But in the end, this just creates a congregation that's hectic, frantic, angry, reactive, leaves us tired, stretched, obligated, and ultimately disappointed in ourselves somehow and probably the church too. So our outlook is to keep it simple and to be ourselves. We don't have to be like anyone else, and we certainly don't want to be like everyone else. We just want to be ourselves and enjoy life together. This has been baked, this idea of simplicity, baked into our church's history from the beginning. We were a part of a movement, historically actually, our church started in 1866. And that movement that ended up spawning our church was devoted to keeping church simple, centered only on two ordinances, baptism and communion. And every week we pause and take the bread and the cup. So if you grabbed your bread and cup on the way in, I invite you to take it into your hand right now. Because no matter what else happens in our worship services, this is the moment where we realize that no matter what, they are built for engagement. We're all participating in this, this remembrance of the body of Christ. It is the essence of simplicity that we can find a strong thread from this moment right now here on uh, 20 centuries later on this side of the world, we can draw a clear line to an upper room in Jerusalem the night before Jesus went to his cross where he took bread and cup and he, rem he reminded his disciples, told his disciples that this bread would represent his body given for us, that this cup would represent his blood shed for us. And he asked them and asked us all to remember him by taking that bread and drinking that cup whenever we gathered together. That's simple. I can wrap my head around that. And I'm glad that we get to do that together. So let's take that bread and thank him for his love.
And as we drink this cup, we're declaring that simple faith in Christ's amazing grace is all we need in this life and in the life hereafter. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you gave us this gift called the church. That you didn't make this whole faith in you thing a solo venture, but something that you call us to do together. So Lord, we ask that you'd continually teach us and guide us into how that looks and what fosters as much of that easy yoke and that light burden and that life in you and that rest for our souls that you said you came to give. Help us to enjoy life together in our church. Help us to enjoy each other in all of our uh, varied personalities and diversity of, of gifts. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to really relish this gift that is your church. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.